0: This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question,
1: Why am I doing this? (laughs) As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you. Bringing interviews, inspiration, and information to encourage, refresh, and equip you to embrace the deep to find your truest story, your truest message in the deep places. You can get the episode show notes, lots more information and encouragement, and
0: your free audio download, Five Crucial Ways to Safeguard Your Writer's Heart, at
1: writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, there's a lot happening here in the world of Write From the Deep. First and foremost, it's spring! Yay! Yay! My yard is so full of flowers, and the blooms are just huge, and that's because of what God did in sending us lots of rain, which is unusual for my area, so it's so fun to see the results of it. What's your spring like? Look around and see what God is doing in your yards. Look for the refreshment. Look for the beauty. Take a minute to savor it. Stop whatever you're doing, and look and see the beauty of God's refreshment and renewal in spring. Yeah. And the next thing, thank you, thank you, thank
0: you to our patrons on Patreon. You guys, you help make this podcast possible, and we're grateful. Sp- Special thanks to our May sponsor of the month, Deanna Storfee. Yay, Deanna! Deanna says she's been acting up as long as she can remember. <laughs> I love that. But in 2006, she started a ministry that dramatizes the stories of Christian heroes of our past. I think that's such a cool idea. That she is. She does stories like Corey Tenboom, John Newton, Elizabeth Fry, George Mueller, and Gladys Aylward, which is a great story. If anyone has, Yo, knows gosh, that it story, is. it's wonderful. So you can learn more about Deanna. And her ministry at her website. It's acting up drama. Actingupdrama.ca. Not dot com, guys.ca. Actingupdrama.ca. Thank you. And now, here's Here's the the show. show. Hello, fellow travelers of the deep. We're glad that you're here with us today. So Today, we're going to talk about Ephesians 4.27, or at least the start of it. In that verse, we are warned, do not give the devil a foothold. That's the NIV version, and the NASB says it this way, do not give the devil an opportunity. But like, what does that mean? (laughs) What kind of opportunities or footholds might we as writers give the enemy? And if we discover that we have done that, how do we get
1: rid of it? Well, first, let's figure out what a spiritual foothold is. If you look for a definition of a foothold, it's a place where a person's foot can be lodged to support them securely, especially when climbing. Or then there's this definition, a position providing a base for further efforts to advance as mm-hmm. in a military invasion. Now, that's what a spiritual foothold is. It's a place in your heart or your spirit where you give the enemy an in, where he can be lodged and supported and where he can be secure in his work to bring you down in whatever it is that God has asked you to do. And the longer you allow these footholds, then it becomes the base, so to speak, where the enemy makes progress in his work to undermine God's work in your life, impacting your emotional, spiritual, and even your physical well-being. So yeah, footholds are not good. Yeah, and here's
0: the deal. Once you give in to that temptation to go against God's guidance, God's word, it becomes that much easier to tempt you again and again. And more important for you to give in, right? When we allow these destructive tendencies into our hearts and our minds, they work a lot like water does on sand or dirt. You know, picture building a sandcastle on the beach, and the tide comes in. You right. know, these things they erode the stability of your foundation of faith. And once that happens, once you've opened the door to footholds being created, then more footholds get created, and it's a vicious cycle. So what we're going to do is we're going to address some of the most common footholds for writers. These are the places where we are too often weak and vulnerable, and we give in just long enough to give the devil an opportunity. It doesn't have to be real long, guys. Just long
1: enough. So, foothold number one that we're going to address is (laughs) discontent. Discontent. And we're starting with this particular spiritual foothold because it's sneaky. It's a kind of thing that creeps inside us in little seemingly harmless ways. But once it gains ground and once it provides a foothold, it's pervasive. It can cover everything we do and think. So let's go back to definitions. What is discontent? Discontent is, figure this out, guys, a lack of contentment. (laughs) Right. It's also dissatisfaction with your circumstances. For writers in particular, it's being discontent with our career, with our writing path, with what we're doing, and thinking we deserve more or that things should
0: be different. Okay, so you might be asking yourself am I discontent? How do I know? (laughs) Well, here's some things to watch for. These are signs of discontent. And the first one is grumbling. Uh, Grumbling against God. Wait, we all know what grumbling is. (laughs) If you have kids, you've heard kids grumble. (laughs) If you've had uh, siblings, you've heard siblings grumble. You've, You've probably grumbled yourself. Grumbling against God, or publishers, or marketers, or sales teams, or readers, or anyone, or anything that is in your mind hindering your, and let's do air quotes, success as a writer. You're maybe grumbling about the things people do, or the things they say, or how hard it is to write, or how your back hurts, or how (laughs) your computer is too slow, or how Amazon's algorithm is messing with your sales. Ultimately, though, here's the deal. If God gave you this task, these are grumblings against God. Because he's making sure, he's he's not doing, he's not making sure things happen the way you want them to.
1: He's making sure that they happen the way he plans it. And we have to trust in that plan without grumbling. Another sign is jealousy. Yeah, that green-eyed monster that comes in and motivates you to say things like, why is that writer on the bestseller list? I'm better than fill in the blank. Why don't i have the sales that writer does why aren't publishers coming to me and offering me these contracts it's looking at what's happening with other writers comparing their path and their journey their success or whatever to where you're at and that's such a dangerous thing to do for a lot of reasons first you have no idea what the reality is. You have no idea how long those other writers have been doing what they're doing. Right. You have no idea why an editor resonated to what they wrote. That's God's playground. That's not your playground. It's it's my husband likes to say, not my circus, not my monkey's. This is not your circus and not your monkeys. The only thing you have control of in your writing path is your obedience and your work toward excellence. That's the only thing that you should be looking at is your journey, what you're doing to do it well and to serve God. So don't let jealousy come in. Another sign of discontent is exaggeration. And this is another one of those little things that just kind of seems so harmless. We can convince ourselves that it's harmless. It's trying to make more of yourself, your work or your success, then is really true. So let's call it what it is. It's lying. Right. Yes, it starts small. I mean, who's going to get hurt if I say I sold more books than I really sold? But one small lie doesn't stay small. Lies have a way of growing and spreading until one day you find yourself having to tell lie after lie to keep the illusion going. Bottom line, God will not honor that. Another sign of discontent
0: is demeaning others. You know, things like that writer is a hack, but I guess readers want that because they don't know any better. That's there's, there's demeaning writers and readers right there, or demeaning publishers. They don't want to take a chance on me because they're just not smart enough to figure it out. You know, whatever. If we allow ourselves to put others down in an effort to build ourselves up, we are not just walking, friends. We are running into sin, and mm-hmm. we're ignoring Scripture. Um, scripture like Philippians 2, 1 through 4, it says, therefore, if you have any Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Mm-hmm. Guys, we're all on the same team. We want God to be glorified. We want people's lives to be changed. Don't let yourself demean someone else, because when you're doing that, you're providing one heck of a foothold for the enemy. Another
1: sign of discontent is despair. Despair. How often have you read something from a writer that you really enjoy and you, for a moment, rather than savoring that writing and rejoicing that that writer is doing what they're doing so well, you step back and you say, I will never be as good as fill in the blank. Why do I even try? What makes me think that anybody is going to want to read my books? What makes me think I could do this? And on and on it goes until it feeds on itself. And then you just go into this place of deciding you're not even going to keep walking down that path of obedience because you'll never be as good as someone else. So those are just some of the signs that you're giving into discontent. Those are pretty heavy signs. Yeah. Where does discontent actually come from? What's the source of
0: discontent. Well, here are what we think might be four sources of discontent. And the first one is unrealized or unadmitted expectations. When we start our journey as writers, we really don't realize what it's all going to be about. And we sure don't realize all the expectations that we have that are inside of us. But as things don't go our way, maybe awards go to other writers or contracts don't materialize or sales fail or never come or rejections pile up, whatever. Deep inside that grumbling, that discontent starts. You know, things like, if I'd have known it would be like this, I would have never tried, you know, or why don't I have a book contract yet? You know, even that last one right there. Let's um, see. You can see that that's revealing an expectation. Why don't I have a book contract yet? Well, okay. Underneath of that is the expectation that I'm going to get a book contract, right? And and it's going to be on my timeline. But when God gives us a task, He rarely tells us the outcome. That's not a thing. You know, we're just supposed to be faithful and do the task. Or something else like, why does this have to be so hard? If God wanted me to write, it wouldn't be so hard. Okay, <laughs> guess what? That's That's got an expectation under that. It's the expectation that it would be easy, that doing what God mean, wants means it means it's going to be easy. That's not true, people. <laughs> Look at the Bible. Nobody has it easy. Okay, so when you're feeling discontent, The deal is dig deeper and figure out what's going on. Do a check on your expectations and figure out, are these in line with what God wants me to be thinking and doing and expecting?
1: And if they're not, realign them. A second source of discontent is thinking you're not living up to other people's expectations. I mean, we've all heard it from someone, whether it's family, friends, even strangers who find out that we're writing. They start the questions. Are you a bestseller? Would I know any of your books or that soul crushing? When are you going to get a real job and bring in some money? Tough, tough words from people that build these expectations that being a writer means a when in reality, when you are a writer who's been given the task by God, it means what he says it means. It may be for you. It may be to get a contract. It may be to be published, and it may not. All you have to do is follow in obedience what he has asked you to do and to let people know. When they start giving you these things, you just tell them, you know what? All I know is God gave me a task to write, and that's what I'm doing. I'm writing. I leave all the rest of that up to him. Hmm. Yeah. Then again hand in hand with what we talked about before number 3 the source is comparison to other writers work or careers you know one of the most damaging things you can do to yourself on your writing journey and one of the quickest ways to give the devil a foothold or an opportunity is to take your eyes off of god and plant them squarely on everybody else right looking at their success and and somehow in your mind making that a measurement of your own success You know this. We've talked about this before, but we're going to say it again. There's only one measurement of success in writing because God has asked you to write, and that's your obedience.
0: Right. And here's another source. It's entitlement. Thinking you deserve more. Okay. <laughs> we, we all we, we need to do a check there, guys. We need to stop and do a check on that. Here we are spending all this time and money and effort, and we're spilling mm. our guts in our books, and we're doing everything God asked us to do. So where's the return? <laughs> right? Here's the trouble. That can motivate us to go to extreme measures to achieve what we think we deserve. Guys, that's striking out on your own, okay? That's your own plan. That's not God's plan. And sometimes we take these extreme measures and they're even at the expense of others. And you end up seeing other writers as a threat to your deserved success. Again, we are all on the same team.
1: Scripture has plenty of warnings regarding the foothold of discontent. Consider Hebrews 12, 1, where it tells us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. And listen to these words, the race marked out for us. Your race, our race, each of us has a race already marked out by God. What we do, how well we do, what becomes of our writing, of our efforts, that's in his hands, his circus, Is monkeys. (laughs) Yes, we need to work toward excellence, but with the purpose of bringing glory to Him, not to ourselves. And here's one of my favorites,
0: Hebrews 13.5. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And think about why this verse starts with, keep your lives free from the love of money. Money (laughs) is such a nice thing to have, okay? It is. But we're supposed to love God first, God most. God is our treasure. Money comes and goes, but God stays with us always and forever. Nothing, nothing can separate us from Him or His great love for us. That is our treasure,
1: And we're not warned just against discontent with God or with where he's taken us on our journey, but we're warned against discontent that focuses on or is aimed at others. James 5, 9 says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold. The judge is standing at the door. I, I read this verse recently, and and that part just struck me right between the eyes. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We cannot allow ourselves to go into these areas of being discontent and grumbling against others because the judge is standing at the door. Right. That's That's a pretty hefty warning right there, and we need to take that to heart. And then there's Psalm 78, like the yeah. entire Psalm is about God's
0: people right on the heels of his provision and protection. They're grumbling against him. And it's not because he didn't care for them, but it's because he doesn't care for them in the way they thought that he should. Right. They didn't get their way or they didn't get what they wanted when they wanted it. And rather than focusing on his goodness and his miraculous provision, they just grow discontent and they allow they allow. They allow themselves to slander God, and they say things like, you know, sure, he gave us manna in the wilderness, but not enough. We want more. Where's
1: the meat? Anyway, we want meat. <laughs> so if we're honest, we have to admit that most of us, if not all of us, have at some time on our writing journey been dogged by the demon of discontent. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, b through 13, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now I guarantee we've read those words a lot of times and I'd venture to say that we read them and just gloss right over them. Yeah, yeah, Paul was content no matter what. In fact, it's far more likely that we are saying saying deep in our hearts, we have learned in whatever state we are therewith to be discontent. Right? It's that whole idea of the grass is greener somewhere else. Somebody is getting more, or it's not what I thought it would be. Because we convince ourselves that what we're going through is so much harder or more or whatever than anything that Paul could have faced. Right. Yeah. We don't like to think about what Paul endured.
0: But right. here you go. Here's his path to contentment. It involved being whipped five times and we're talking like forty lashes there, okay? Beaten Each at times. Yeah. And beaten at least three times with rods. He was stoned in Lystra and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times. He was beaten in Philippi and thrown into prison in, as he says in 2 Corinthians 11, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. That's his deal. That's his path (laughs) to contentment. And here we are grumbling about our sales are bad. It's
1: taking a long time to get a contract. You know, I mean, come on, guys. And then there's the fact that right after Paul's amazing conversion, the Jews plotted to kill him. When he spoke in Jerusalem against the Hellenists, they tried to kill him. Right. The Jews in Antioch persecuted him and banned him from their region. Yeah, he didn't go through much.
0: No, let's, let's read that in Philipp, uh, Philippines again, okay? Um, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything
1: through Christ who gives me strength. He can do everything in the face of all that that he endured. So here's the question. Is there a cure for discontent? Well, there absolutely is. In fact, (laughs) here are five possible cures. Trust. Trust that God has a plan for you in your writing. Trust that he knows what's best for you and for your work and for the people who will at some point read it. Trust that he has his purposes and timeline for everything you're doing, whatever that is. And I guarantee you, his timeline, his plan will be far more wonderful than what you think you want or deserve.
0: Here's another cure, focus. Keep your focus on God, not on what is or isn't happening in your career. Remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And again, we've said this, obedience. It's obedience. It's to help others. It's to share your experience with God. Another cure, acknowledgement. Acknowledge that God is God that He is sovereign, that His wisdom is far beyond any wisdom we might have, (laughs) that He will do what He will do. And we just not only need to trust Him, but have a holy fear of Him, understanding that you know the judge is at the door. And there are consequences when we allow ourselves to grumble against Him or rebel against His truths. Think about ways you can acknowledge God, you guys. Think about waking up in the morning and the first thing you say with your mouth can be God. You are God. You are holy. I trust you. You guys can just open the Psalms. Do something that acknowledges how good, how good our God is. And do that like every morning. It's the
1: way to start the day right. Another cure is surrender. Let go of your expectations, gather them together, understand them, and when you do, lay them on his altar, on God's altar, and leave them with him to do what he will. I attended and spoke at the Mount Hermon conference for years, and I love Mount Hermon, and I love the people at Mount Hermon. One of the things that they do there is they give out awards, and there are some awards that they actually give to the faculty, and I wanted an award. As a faculty member. I mean, I'd talked with a lot of people. I'd helped a lot of people. I deserved an award. Hmm. But it just every time they had the awards time, they would name people and they'd start telling stories about who they were. And it wasn't me. And so one year I finally was just feeling so sorry for myself and so frustrated that nobody seemed to recognize just how special I was. (laughs) And God came and he put his heavy hand of conviction on my shoulder and he said, I will give you what you need in the way of acknowledgement. I will give you what you need to be recognized. I will say what you get and what you don't get in awards. Is that enough for you? Hmm. Oh boy, howdy, I was on my face in front of him that evening when I went back to my room and, and I finally took those expectations and surrendered them. And I said, it doesn't matter. What matters is if I hear the amen from you, I don't need awards from anybody else, because my only award that matters is that I know that I'm doing what you're asking me to do. That was a process It took me a while to keep telling myself that and remind myself that that any recognition of what I was doing would come from God. And that was more than enough. Hmm. Well, the year after that, I'm sitting at Mount Hermon again, and it's awards night, and they start reading off the background of the person who's going to get the setter Award, which is the award that they give to people that they feel are setting a pace for others. And as I'm listening, I'm realizing the background and the bio, it's mine. <laughs> I got the Paysetter Award that year. And as I walked down the aisle to go and receive the award, I was laughing inside because I was like, God, you are so funny. All I have to do is, is give up the expectation or the desire for something, and then you give it to me, and it means so much more than it ever could have before. Friends, God will reward your obedience in His way, in His timing, and because He loves us, not because we deserve anything. So our next thing is gratitude, gratitude, be grateful
0: for what you have now. What you have now, and more than that, savor what God gives you, whatever it is, because it's enough, because it's from Him and He knows what you need. Keep your eyes and your heart open every day to see the blessings He has for you. Know that everything that comes to you is by His hand and thank Him for it. Be grateful that He's asked you to write whatever His purposes are in that, and always, always. Remember the unimaginable grace that he's given you. When we're having a hard time, we're having trouble with feeling entitled especially, that is a sure sign that we have forgotten the meaning of God's grace to us. But here's one thing I want to make sure that we say about all of these five things that we've given you. They're not done In your own power okay go back to what paul says in philippians 4 Um, he talks about where his strength comes from it's christ who gives us strength don't try to do these things on your own
1: lean on christ to help you do these things so bottom line as you embrace these cures for the spiritual foothold of discontent understand one important truth if you're not content in your circumstances now Whatever they may be, whether you think they're good or bad, if you're not content in the midst of them, you won't be content in any circumstances. Right. Thinking sales or success or accolades or money will give you a spirit of contentment, just it's not true. Because when you think these things, you are believing your source of contentment is in circumstances. But friends, there's only one true source of true contentment, of contentment that can withstand any of the trials and struggles and the enemy's attempts to gain a foothold. And you know what that is in your heart of hearts. That source is God. So today, let's embrace the wondrous truth of Proverbs 19.23. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, thanks for joining us today. We hope you found it helpful. And if you know someone else who needs this podcast, please share it. You can find backlist episodes and lots more resources at our website, thedeep.com Yep, we'd
0: love to connect with you guys there.
1: So, until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Amen. Amen.